episode three. Let's go pee. This again? <laughs> okay, let's start over again. <laughs> okay. Episode three, all about Gigi. Who is Gigi? He's Gigi. You mean Chef Gregory Gourdet? Yes. Our pal? Of course. In today's episode, we talk about our trip to Austin and interview our good friend and housemate, Chef Gregory Gourdet, who you might know as the runner-up in this latest season of Top Chef on Bravo. We'll also gab about some of our favorite eats of this trip, and my pal, Dr. Emily Deans, pops in to help answer the question of the week. So listen up, y'all, and you might just find out which Spice Girl Gregory identifies with. Welcome to our program. This is the non non Show with Michelle Tam and Henry Fong and the Double O's. Join us as we go behind the scenes and reveal how we make a real food lifestyle fun, sustainable, and non-tastic. We're the food nerds behind Nom Nom Paleo, the award-winning food blog, app, and cookbook. And we're also the parents of two growing boys, Big O. Hello. And Lilo. Hello. Hi. Hi. Whatever. And they're the reason we do what we do. This episode is a special one, and not just because we taped most of it on a handheld recorder on location in a rental house in Austin, Texas. We were in Austin recently to present at Paleo FX, the world's largest annual paleo conference. How would you describe Paleo FX, Henry? It's been a couple of years since I actually attended Paleo FX, but I would say it's sort of like, I don't know, Paleo Palooza or maybe Burning Caveman. That's right. Burning Caveman for Paleos, only no one's naked, no one's wasted. Well, maybe they were drunk on barbecue and drowning in meat sweat. <laughs> okay, enough chuckles. Let's get started. What we ate. What did you eat this week, Michelle? Well, I was in Austin. So there's a lot of stuff that we ate. Uh, there was barbecue and a lot of gluten-free, paleo-friendly, fun stuff. Paleo-friendly, fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. Get specific. Well, I think Austin is probably one of my favorite places to eat paleo, or at least gluten-free. You can eat at a bunch of barbecue places pretty safely, and everything's delicious. And you can go to places like Picnic, which is a coffee bar slash paleo food mecca. Anybody there for like paleo FX will stop by Picnic before they leave. And we did. <laughs> and we bought a lot of stuff. We didn't just buy a lot of stuff. I think we bought everything. <laughs> well, I wanted to try everything. And we had a bunch of people with us. And we basically ordered a bunch of their coffee drinks and their bone broth, which you can add butter to or add anything. They said that you can customize the bone broth however you like. And then we just went to the cold case and got almost one of everything. We got the carnitas tacos. Yeah. We got the... Roasted green beans and chicken. Which was delicious. I could probably have had three or four boxes of that. We did buy, I think, three or four boxes. And you had enough to take back on the plane with you. And there was a spaghetti squash and sausage pie, which was delicious. And we also got quiche. And then I think right when I was about to pay, I saw the dessert right by the cashier and I picked up a bunch of desserts. So it was really great. Everyone there was super nice from the workers to the people who were in line with us. I think that was one of my favorite places to eat. Yeah, they even have butter coffee that's iced. And I've never actually had iced butter coffee before getting it at Picnic. Yeah, I was worried that it was going to get congealed, but it was really good. And there were no funny butter chunks. <laughs> 
funny butter chunks would have been kind of yucky. <laughs> but, but it was the opposite. No funny butter chunks. Yep, it was delicious. So what did you eat while we were in Austin? Because we weren't together the whole time. I was at Paleo FX. And I was tooling around with the kids. Yeah. Well, on Friday, we actually decided to beat the heat and get into an air-conditioned movie theater. I had been wanting to go see a movie at the Alamo Draft House, which is a chain of movie theaters slash restaurants in Austin and expanding to actually to a number of different cities, including San Francisco, pretty soon. The great thing about the Alamo Draft House is not only is it a draft house, so for any of you beer lovers out there, or if you're paleo and you want cider, you can actually go to the ticket counter, buy your tickets for a movie, select your seats, and order an adult beverage of choice. Then once you actually sit down, there's a full menu at the table in front of you. You can order food, and there were plenty of gluten-free options and even some paleo-friendly options. I had a burger bowl, which was just a hamburger patty on a bed of salad greens, and it was incredible to be able to eat that while watching Furious 7. I mean, it's almost like watching a movie in your own house. Even better, it's like watching a movie and having someone else cook for you and bring you the food as you sit there immobile staring at the screen. So is it actually bright enough for you to see what you're eating or do you just make a big mess? We definitely made a big mess. (laughs) Well, I look forward to trying out the one in San Francisco when it opens up. It's actually opening up two doors down from Foreign Cinema. Oh, that's one of my favorite places to eat. So I don't know that you'll actually want to eat inside Alamo Draft House when one of your favorite restaurants in San Francisco is 20 feet away. Yeah, I don't think I will. Well, next time we're in Austin. Yeah. The main course. The main course of today's episode is a dining room interrogation of our friend Gregory Gorday. And it definitely was an interrogation. It was because I asked every question that any self-respecting reality show junkie would want to know. Totally. So a few years ago, I was at a blogging conference in Portland, and it wasn't a paleo conference like Paleo FX. It was just a a regular food blogging conference. You were just there to learn more about how to be a better food blogger, because this was, as I remember it, in the early days of Nom Nom Paleo, Yeah, this was in 2012. We were just starting to get more readers, and so I knew I had to make things look prettier. You had to up your game. I had to learn how to write pretty. (laughs) I was at one of these mixers and someone noticed on my name tag that it had the word paleo on it. And they said, hey, you're paleo. You definitely need to find the chef who's going to be presenting later, Gregory Gorday. He is super cool and super nice and everybody loves him in Portland. You totally have to meet him. And so I made a point to meet him. And I am totally an introvert. And I don't like introducing myself to random people because I feel like a creeper. You You know, what's funny is I think Gregory's an introvert too. Yeah, he is. So it was the meeting of two shy introverts. Yeah. But I remember when the session actually started, I spotted him right away because he is tall, dark, and handsome. He has a mohawk. I think at the time, his mohawk actually had this gold streak in it. And he had these hipster glasses and he's fit. And he has the physique of an ultra-marathoning CrossFitter. Which he is. That's and he's right. also a yoga enthusiast. So all those things. 
that year in 2012, he was actually voted Portland's hottest chef. And by hottest chef, I mean va va voom hottest chef, like physically hottest. <laughs> Not just like <laughs> the hottest, most trend setting. No, I mean, he is that too. But I mean, this was like, who is the hottest? So I remember introducing myself and kind of like stammering and saying, hey, I heard your paleo. I have a paleo blog. My name is Michelle and the blog is Nom Nom Paleo. And, <laughs> and I remember. I was, Super charismatic. I was. I think I was stammering. And then he's like, oh, you know, I've read your blog. And I remember thinking, what? Maybe he did it because he's just so nice. <laughs> so from there, we kept in touch. And over the years, Gregory has become one of our favorite people in the world. He's super kind and driven, insanely creative. And he has the most infectious giggle, which you'll hear later in the interview. And he loves umami as much as I do. In fact, that's why he was actually at Paleo FX with you, was to co-present on a talk all about umami. We were trying to show how a lazy mom like me and a professional chef like himself can bond over umami. You guys haven't just bonded, you've actually collaborated on a number of paleo events. When you say collaborated, it just means that we show up and Gregory, he cooks. <laughs> Gregory hosts us. You know, he cooks a fantastic dinner that he says is inspired by my recipes, which I don't really think they are because they're always way beyond what I could ever make. <laughs> He's hosted them at Departure, which is his uber popular Pan-Asian restaurant located on the roof of the Nines Hotel in downtown Portland. Um, and it's a gorgeous space. Our kids call it call Tron it, or something. Yeah, like when you walk through the entranceway, it is like you're walking through Tron. Last year, when I returned to Portland again, he offered to host a paleo pop-up brunch for us. It was amazing, as usual. What's I, also amazing is he always just drops everything for us when we come into town. No, but it also just shows how he's just such a nice, cool person. He knows how to treat his friends right. It's not like Gregory isn't a busy guy. Not to mention he's a world traveler, an ultra runner, a hot yoga devotee and a crossfitter too. And you can see that his focus on health is really reflected in his restaurant because at departure, guests don't just have the regular dinner menu presented to them. They also have the option of gluten-free menus, vegan menus, paleo menus even. Whatever your dietary restriction, Gregory will accommodate you. And Gregory, or Gigi as his friends like to call him, has increasingly been recognized for his culinary genius. He was named Chef of the Year by the Oregon Department of Agriculture in 2013. Eater named him Chef of the Year in 2014. And then this year, he became a bona fide celebrity chef when he placed second in the 12th season of Bravo TV's cooking competition show, Top Chef. And he was also a semifinalist for the James Beard Award for Best Chef Northwest 2015. Despite the fact that he is more accomplished than anyone has a right to be, instead of living the celebrity high life when he decided to come with us to Austin to co-present at Paleo FX, he decided to share a house with me, Henry, our two noisy kids, and our pal, Diana Rogers. So he essentially decided to stay in a madhouse. Yeah, I think he regretted it. It may not <laughs> ever happen again. <laughs> anyway, it was there in that little house that we cornered him one morning before breakfast and decided to... Pepper him with a bunch of questions. Yeah, as rookie podcasters, we unfortunately only had a single handheld recorder with us, but hopefully you won't mind because... Gregory was a great interview subject. Yeah, he's honest about his recovery from addiction, his path to professional cooking, and even his choice of boy bands. All right, so without further ado, let's get to it. Hi. 
Hi, Gregory. Good morning. It has been crazy living in our house with our kids. It's been fantastic catching up with you guys. It's been really wonderful, so thank you for having me. That is so diplomatic. I don't think we've gotten any sleep, and the kids are always like, when's Gregory going to get up? When's Gregory going to get up? I'm like, well, I bet he's up listening to you guys right now. I'm thinking, why did I sign up for creeping up to your door to figure out whether you're awake yet. I know, because there's like a little curtain. I think he tries to peek under Really? Yeah. Terrible. So anyway, we want you to tell us about a comfort dish from your childhood that you love. Uh, when I think comfort dish, I go back to just really classification dish of stewed chicken. It's chicken that's been marinated with lime and citrus and thyme and garlic and scotch bonnet chilies. And then, the one you made on the show, exactly, on Top the Chef. One on the show. My <laughs> mother still makes it much better than I do, but that is the dish. It's simply stewed with a little bit of onions and a little bit more herbs and baked. And it's tender and it's juicy and it's actually paleo. So I think you need to give me that recipe, oh, that recipe. and then we'll put it up oh, on yeah. the blog. Yeah, 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 yeah. But scotch bonnets are super spicy. They're you had this when you were a kid. Yeah, I mean, in Haiti, that's the one chili that we have, and I think that's kind of what started my love for chilies. But we throw a whole chili into the whole dish, so it, it kind of gives the essence of heat, not actually making the whole dish very spicy. Um, but we also do have a pickled condiment, which is called piclis, which is pickled cabbages, chilies, peas, and carrots. And that's held in a little vinegar, and that's held on the side. And that's a spicy condiment that's on the table at every Haitian table. Oh, that sounds really good. Okay, we want the recipe for that. Yeah. We yeah. <laughs> so in college, you were pre-med. I was. So how did you decide to pursue a cooking career? Like, is that to you a diametrical change? Not like, at it... all. Both of my parents work in hospitals throughout their entire careers. My mother was a microbiology lab supervisor and my father was a chemistry lab supervisor. So I think it was just in my head that I should pursue a medical career. I always thought I wanted to be a pediatrician. By the time I got through my first year of pre-med at NYU, I was not the best student. It was extremely challenging and I just thought that I should probably pursue something else. I also wanted to leave the city, so I started looking elsewhere, and I thought about doing wildlife biology and working with animals and working with nature, and I headed out to Montana. And that, So that's how you ended up in Montana? That's how I ended up in Montana, wow. um, just looking at wildlife biology programs nationwide. And I ended up actually cooking for myself for the first time. It was the first time I was paying my own rent, first time I was living on my own. I had uh, a Jewish roommate from Long Island, and we just started making pasta and lasagna and cooking on our own and providing provisions for ourselves, and that's where it all began. It was a very artistic college town, Missoula, Montana, and, you know, there's lots of dancers, friends in the art department, so we'd have little dinner parties, and I would always make tons of food, and we had the holidays together, so I was just cooking a lot, and that's kind of where I just fell in love with cooking. And my first job was washing dishes. And my second job was working at a kind of gourmet, vegetarian-friendly deli. And that's where it all began. See, that sounds a lot classier than how we used to cook. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't... I think the Top Chef episodes where they talk about cooking out of a convenience store, mm-hmm. that sounds more like how we used to cook in college. <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> So how did your family feel about your career change? I think I think moving out to Montana was a little bit harder for them. By the time I told them I wanted to go to culinary school, I was a little bit older and I was a little bit more settled. Mm-hmm. And 
they just wanted to make sure that I had a college degree first. So mm-hmm. I actually ended up getting a degree in French because I come from Haitian heritage and mm-hmm. I had a bunch of French credits just from wanting to learn French. So it was the quickest way to get to graduation. Mm-hmm. And my dad just insisted I went to the best culinary school. So he looked at schools in New York, at FCI, in the city, and then CIA. He insisted that I go there and it was a really awesome program. And we toured the school and it was just a really good opportunity. It was actually like going back to college for me you know I lived in the dorms you know Mm -hmm. after I just graduated from college so I was a little older so it was really fun in that sense but at the same time it was really the first time I got all straight A's Mm -hmm. and school just like totally made sense and I really loved every second of it and just really really had an awesome time that's great like your parents are really supportive yeah they are they are did you get involved in cooking up Asian flavors at the CIA or was that something no I always kind of liked Asian flavors but you know I think my earliest memories of Asian food were probably like kind of not the best Chinese takeout like mm-hmm. in the hood in Queens you know like shrimp fried rice and like shrimp and broccoli and beef and broccoli and like all these sorts of things and I, I would probably like never... lo mein yeah, I've yeah. never even yeah. heard of that because oh, yeah. that's like an east coast thing yeah. general so's chicken yeah, I don't yeah, think yeah. I ever yeah. had that on the west coast yeah. just because my mom would <laughs> yeah. cook and then the Chinese restaurants in San Francisco, we're all mm. kind of Cantonese. Okay, yeah. And so I, I didn't even know those things existed. Yeah, yeah. all that Chinese-American stuff. Yeah. yeah. I knew it existed. Because you guys had a Chinese-American restaurant. Yeah, we did. We didn't have lo mein, we had mm. chow mein, mm. but it was all the same stuff. Mm. It was really geared towards... And your towards... crispy noodles were those chunking, crunchy noodles. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was crazy. All I, I remember are the, like, those little... <laughs> packets of like salt and like caramel sugar for the soy sauce and like that really orange glaze for duck sauce yeah which i still don't know what it is (laughs) yeah but no but your asian flavors now are super refined yeah what i love about departure where you cook is that you do a lot of asian dishes but you do it with the best ingredients Mm. Yeah, so my formal training was at Jean Georges, mm-hmm. and I did my intern there, and I worked for him for about six and a half years after culinary school. So he's basically the founding father of everything that I know, and everyone there who worked for him and kind of trained me as well. But he started his career in Thailand, I believe, mm-hmm. actually. So very early on, he was always incorporating Asian flavors. That was always a part of what he did. He's definitely one of the fathers of fusion in the late 90s, incorporating Asian flavors and French cuisine at the same time. And some of his earlier restaurants kind of heralded that movement as well. One of his biggest things was eschewing like fats and butters and reductions and jus and replacing them with fruit juices and vinaigrettes and, and herb oils. And that's something he heralded in the 80s. And that's documented in his first book. So early on, I started learning about how to work with healthier foods and kind of really let flavors show, work with herbs, work with the chilies and that's something that he, that was very important to him. And, and in that case, you would have to use the freshest ingredients. Indeed, indeed. And the second part of this was, you know, my first official chef de cuisine job was at a, a modern Chinese restaurant. His restaurant 66 was in Tribeca. And it, when I came on board, there was an entire staff of Chinese cooks. So I basically, I learned how to cook Chinese from Chinese people under the umbrella of a four-star chef. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where that kind of using the best ingredients and, you know, you work with these amazing Asian flavors all came together. And that's where it all really began. How did you get from there all the way out to Portland? To Portland. You know, I went to boarding school in Delaware. I moved to Montana. And then I came back to the city. So I've always kind of been in the city and, like, wanting to leave the city. So 
I was just looking for a really big lifestyle change. My friend and old chef mentor invited me out to California to work for him for a few months, and I did. But his restaurant was turning into Italian concept, and that's really not in my wheelhouse. After about eight months in San Diego, my friend was offered me a position in Portland, Oregon, and I had visited Portland throughout my years in college. We used to go to raves there, so I was, I was, familiar, I was familiar. You were sort of familiar. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hadn't seen much of it during the daylight. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, I was just kind of going through a lot of personal changes. I was trying to get sober, and it just seemed like a good opportunity to move. San Diego wasn't really the best place for me in terms of bonding and connecting with community and, and just pushing my career ahead. And I moved to Portland, and things just fell into place because Portland is such an amazing place, and I realized that right away. Yeah, I think Portland is the perfect place for you because it does have city life and then it's got gorgeous trails. And Absolutely. You can totally get away from it. I mean, you can run to it. Most people have to just drive a little bit. Yeah, that's true. But Gregory can run these 50-mile races, so just running to the gorge is no big deal for you. Whereas people would have to drive to the gorge. <laughs> we did. We drove a long ways. I remember we were there uh, a few months back and, and you had told us to go out to okay. the gorge and... I think we just plugged it into Waze or something, and we ended up driving. Henry's being really nice. I misdirected us. <laughs> we drove into Washington State. Okay. It's not too far, but we went, yeah. and then we went basically until there was no more land. And then we went up this weird wooded road, because Waze yeah. was oh, trying to show us where the good. gorges were, but I think it was physically not accessible by car and yeah. it was just trying to tell us to drive these dirt roads into the hills and the kids were freaked out. Yeah, we, were, we were in a rental car and I was like, oh no. It wasn't a four-wheel drive. It's going to end. <laughs> no, I mean, I think Portland is, you know, from a chef perspective, from a lifestyle perspective and, and for someone who's very conscious of what they're putting into their bodies, I think Portland is an amazing place and it's 100% due to our growing season out there and you know, the, the kind of moderate conditions that allow growing four seasons a year. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are surrounded by farms. You know, we're surrounded by the forest. The coast is two hours away. We pretty much have every kind of growing area possible for all sorts of produce and fish and meats. And everything is local. Everything is very much driven by people who are very concerned about where their items are sourced and I always tell the story you know I know who makes my salt I know who makes my olive oil I know who personally raises my my chickens and it's just a lifestyle like that out there and it's it's really really cool you mean just like in Portlandia <laughs> yes <there's, laughs> it's true that's very true it's there's there's <laughs> so much truth to that show um you know obviously it's a little over the top but there's lots of incidences daily where I realize that I do in fact live on the so Portlandia, and it's pretty funny. You know, it's funny is we feel that way when we watch Silicon Valley. Okay. Because it sounds so crazy when you're watching it, but that is like that's real life. Like we'll walk around and we're like, look, those people are on a meeting bike. Yeah, yeah. There is that you know <laughs> self-driven car. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it, it's a weird thing. So let's talk about cooking. Yeah. Because that is your passion. So what's your favorite season to cook from? Um, It's, I don't know. I mean, I think I love the bounty of fall and going back to those heavy spices and and root vegetables. But I I think probably summer is my favorite in terms of just cooking light. 
being able to grill as much as possible, just really having fruits and vegetables at the peak of their season and, and super fresh and just really quickly throwing something together. I love complicated dishes at the restaurant, but in actuality at home, you know, I, I cook super simple. I love being able to just throw stuff together. And I think going to the farmer's market you know, on a Saturday in July is probably the easiest way to cook because everything's going to be super fresh super ripe and super ready to go and, it's, and you can just throw the grill on and, and get things going. That was one of my questions I was going to ask you, like what do you cook on a day off? To be very honest, I don't have a lot of time off and I like to <laughs> support my friends so I eat out a lot, but for me, getting some chicken and some marinade, maybe like a Thai style marinade or a Vietnamese style marinade with some fish sauce and some garlic, some ginger, some chilies, just throwing it on the grill and you know, just a really awesome salad, tons of grilled peaches. Um, with some chilies, just really quick kind of protein and quick vegetable sides is is how I love to eat. Uh, this is why you guys get along so well. You good. have a, <laughs> almost identical uh, no, flavor no. profile. We have the taste. same not we, ability. We, I'm not saying no, ability. That's what I mean. I think we have similar preferences. Like our palates prefer the same things. Mm-hmm. But I'm totally happy if someone cooks that for me. Like, yeah. when you're saying that, I'm like, oh, we should go to Gregory's house. <laughs> you can make that for us. <laughs> I can. Next time you come yeah. down. In terms of coming up with dishes, do you look at cookbooks, or are you just inspired from dishes that you eat at other places, or how are you I'm inspired? very much inspired by everything. You know, mm-hmm. I definitely absolutely cruise the internet for inspiration. I definitely research traditional Asian dishes, and sometimes I want to make them as authentic as possible. Sometimes I just kind of glance over the recipe and, and automatically think of ideas how I can do it and have my take on it. If I see something from a different chef or from another chef globally, I definitely don't try to steal their idea. I might steal a technique, but mm-hmm. I definitely look at the recipe, close it, mm-hmm. and come up with my own thing just because I, I do think people come up with things and you should respect that and honor mm-hmm. it. And, but you can learn from it and kind of interpret it in different ways. I definitely think of having things be dynamic in terms of salty, sweet, crunchy, bitter, and having kind of all of those elements in every dish all the time. Even when I cook at home, I think it's really important. And I always add an element of spice and always add an element of acid and always add an element of fat to all my food. So you had alluded that you never have a day off mm-hmm. because you're very, very busy. So can you walk us through a day in your life, like a working day? Okay. Perfect day. I would wake up at 8.30, I would make it to CrossFit by 9.15. I would bike to work after CrossFit. I would start with a cup of coffee with coconut milk and maple syrup. And I would go into probably a couple eggs scrambled with a little bit of hot sauce. I would go into my emails. And my office life is based off organizing events. Oftentimes they're globally. Um, you know, as I'm leaving for Japan in one day. Uh, organizing local events, organizing dinners. I currently have three dinners organized and sold out in Portland at my restaurant and a couple other friends' restaurant over the next two months. Organizing the schedules of my cooks. I currently have a 22 staff member kitchen. So that's 22 cooks running around every day that I have to work with and and groom and, and get them to kind of work with us and see our vision. And then there's often meetings with managers in my operation And then we go into prepping for service. So I want to make sure that I connect with each of my cooks every day. So I go down the line. We have seven stations in the kitchen. We have pastry. We have sushi. We have steam. We have fry. We have grill. We have saute. We have wok. All cooking. So make sure they have everything that they need. And then through the busyness of service, I expedite. So I basically, 
as a cook produces the food, I make sure the runner is taking it to the correct table. I make sure it looks good, make sure it tastes good throughout all the service and service is about eight hours. And then we start the ordering process and then we start closing down. And then I answer some more emails and then I go home and I go to sleep. <laughs> wait, wait, you didn't do the time. So do you eat anything after those I, eggs? I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle's yeah. focusing on I have, yeah. the thing is, like, how are you feeling yourself? I, I don't really oftentimes have a proper lunch or a proper dinner. We do have a, a, a cafeteria mm-hmm. and it's really simple stuff. But usually I, I eat some grilled chicken or maybe a couple of pieces of shrimp or um, we do have tons of fish that we're fabricating. So if there's fish scraps, I'll throw it on the grill mm-hmm. and, you know, probably just eat maybe another egg or just saute it up some vegetables and, or a quick stir fry in the wok. So how are you hydrating yourself throughout all this? Tons of water. Tons of water. Yeah, tons are you of water. drinking like coconut water or any other types of... Um, at work, mostly just water, more coffee and orange juice for vitamin C. You didn't say what time you went to bed. I, go to I know bed. you go to bed really late. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be very honest, the earliest I leave work often nights is 11. Mm-hmm. And the latest I will leave work is sometimes 2. And that happens every couple of weeks I, I'll, I'll be leaving work at 2. So I And get, you ride your bike home? Most often times. I've been getting pretty lazy. I've been cabbing a lot lately. But then um, what time do you go to bed? I go to bed at like right away? 2 and 3. Yeah, right away. And you wake up at 8.30 on a not on all, a good... Not all the time, but... I can, yeah. So oh, wow. when do you have time for two things? Mm-hmm. Running mm-hmm. and Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> running during the week, I'll wake up at 8. I can get a two-hour run in before I work. During the weekends, it's an all-day affair. It's about six hours. You know, I'll take a full six hours on Sunday to go running. And then like. And two. then do you go to work afterwards? Um, no, not on a day like that. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely a good day off. So, you know, during running is probably like one to two hours during the week. And then on the weekends, we have to push. So it's about six hours on Sunday. And if I have off on Monday as well, I'll probably go for a shorter, which is about four hours. And if you're training for an ultra marathon, I'm assuming it's a lot longer. No, I, because to be very honest, I don't have much more time. So mm-hmm. I, I work with my coaches in a way that I'm able to train on these races. I only have a certain amount of time to train. So we design my training schedule to allow what I can do. Work has to come first. I've, I've set so many running goals and I realize that, you know, work is first and running just has to be a hobby. And, and I'm not some famous ultra runner that can run all day because I have so all this free time. So. It's been a kind of a hard pill to swallow because I've, I've had so many lofty running goals and I've been able to accomplish them. But the reality is like I just get busier and busier at work, so it becomes harder and harder. But I still love running a lot. Justin, you describing your day, you've already talked about all these activities that you do, all of these benefits and charities that you're involved in. So how do you manage it all without going crazy <laughs> especially you know now that you're sober like how do you handle your stress how, how do you do, how do you do it uh, i don't know i'm a pretty even keel person i think being sober and just knowing all the opportunities and everything that i have that comes my way you know i mean six years ago i never really knew i would be living here i never thought i would be working so closely with the people who make my food it's just a very different lifestyle and i never really knew that all these things would come to me and like our business keeps growing and growing and we are extremely popular and you know i keep getting accolades for things that i'm doing and a lot of this stuff i don't really plan for i just i just put my head down and i, I wake up and i go to work every day and you know all these things keep coming to me so there's definitely a sense of gratitude throughout all this so it's very hard for me to kind of want to lash out or freak out because I got overwhelmed with like a sense of gratitude for everything that I have. And I know that I have to stay even keeled because 
departure is a very crazy busy restaurant and we have to stay calm as management there to keep kind of the ship sailing as we like to say i have 23 employees working throughout the whole day from 7 a.m till to 1 a.m and i have to be there for them so there has to be a sense of being even keeled just to keep things going as smoothly as possible so do you do any meditation or anything that- i don't you know, I, I running do, is your meditation. Running is my yeah. meditation. You know, being able to, you know, I, I most of the times I run alone. You know, being able to be outside for as long as possible is is really why I run more than any kind of fitness goals. I mean, obviously it's uh, extremely healthy, but I really run to want to challenge myself. You know, one, two to clear my head, and three to be outside alone for as long as possible. And it's been it's been working i think you kind of hinted at this in your last answer but what motivates you to push so hard in all the things you do i'm a pretty chill person but i am extremely competitive you know even within myself so i know i live in a very competitive food town and i know that i want to push myself i am very aware that i have national eyes on me so i'm also very self-conscious so i'm very much trying to learn as much as possible really push myself, really push our cuisine, really make the best food that we can make at departure, um, and really present myself well in public life because there are a lot of eyes on what we do. And, you know, I just want everything to go really well. I don't like when things go bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't like conflict either. <laughs> so it makes for trying to get things as nice and smooth as possible. Yeah, that is hard. I mean, if you're a perfectionist and you don't like conflict, sometimes those can butt up against each other. That's true. Because I'm not a perfectionist, I, I'm not, but I don't like yeah. conflict. I don't think I'm a perfectionist like, either. You know? No, I think you are. I think you are. I've seen your plates. I've eaten yeah. your food. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think when it comes to the plate, but you know, I'm not like the type of chef that the cilantro has to be exactly at six o'clock and three o'clock. You know, I think there's some looseness to my cuisine. Since you're so busy. Mm-hmm. Is there something about normal life that you miss? Normal life? I, whew, I'm not sure what normal life is. So when you hear your friends who have a 9 to 5 job, yeah. is there something that they do that you are like, oh, that sounds like a fun thing. Like being able to go to sleep. And- <laughs> yeah. Or um, like just I, watching I, I think Bravo Probably, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> like already like addicted to The Real Housewives because... <laughs> It was like on before Top Chef. <laughs> I think a normal sleep schedule is probably the thing that I would most desire. But I'm extremely career driven. I feel that I spent seven years of my life battling drugs and alcohol. And I think I've made a really good turnaround. But I still have feelings that I kind of missed out on seven years of my life. And I'm just trying to not necessarily catch up at this point. But I'm really focused on my career and seeing what happens. I'm very happy doing so. I do have a lot of fun at the same time. So I don't think I've really ever had a normal life. I was like a hard partying club kid who worked a lot in New York City. And then I moved here. And now I'm just a chef that works all the time. And I definitely see a lot of friends who have more stable, normal lives. I'm a workaholic. And I accept that. And I know that things will calm down at some point. But for now, I still have a lot of fun pushing as hard as possible and doing all these crazy things because... It's still fun for me. I'm definitely an adrenaline junkie, mm-hmm. and I like the attention, and I like pushing myself. See, that's why I knew you'd do really well on Top Chef, and that's what we're going to dig into next. I mean, we can talk about the story of how I discovered that you were on Top Chef, because <laughs> I remember, like, I follow Gregory all the time on social media, and then all of a sudden, there was a social media blackout, 
And you didn't post anything. She came home and said, yeah. oh my gosh, something's happened to Gregory. He's gone radio silent. Yeah. I don't like, know oh what no. happened to him. Is he in rehab or is he on uh, Top Chef? Some people thought that. And then, some people thought that. And then on Top Chef. Both things. Yeah, right? And so then I remember reading this article when they were just announcing that they had wrapped up filming mm-hmm. in Boston. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, oh, and so everyone has been secluded for I think is it six weeks it's uh yeah six, six weeks for the first one and so then I looked back on your Instagram to see the last time you posted I was like oh this all makes sense and then when you came back I remember you had these really peppy little posts like oh, I'm back and I'm so excited you know my research trip I'm like research trip and I remember reading other articles about other Top Chef contestants okay. who had been on and they yeah. said yeah we had to describe it as a research you trip really, really and you did a lot of research I, I know she texted you she was like I know where you've been I know where you've been I know you may not be able to say yes but I bet you, I would bet my children's college tuition that you're on yeah, top of that. Yeah, said that. <laughs> so, on Top Chef, who was your favorite judge and why? Mm. To be very honest, it's a very awkward situation with the whole judging thing, and it's really nerve-wracking. You think you're at a certain level with your culinary artistry and what you can do, but then you walk in and it's your first challenge and you're cooking for Jamie Bissonette and like Ming Tsai and Todd English and all these really heralded James Beard warning people all at the same time. And you're making food alongside them. So it's it's really, really crazy. But it's kind of this wall between us and the judges because you have to keep it professional and they're judging you. But in actuality, they were really, really awesome. All three, Padma, Tom, and Gail, were all really awesome. They're really honest. They gave you really great feedback. Tom Kaliki was awesome because he likes really straightforward food. He doesn't like frills and bells and whistles. And I definitely cook like that, really focusing on flavors, making things as savory as possible. Padma was awesome because she loves spice and I love spice. And Gail, she too, she likes really straightforward food that clicks and makes sense. So I, I feel like they all had palates that appreciate what I did. I think Richard Blaze, having been on the show twice, he was expecting a lot from us because he's been through it and he's won. So he was probably one of the the more demanding judges, I believe. He knows what it takes to go through it, and he was kind of expecting more from us because he's been through it himself. I think overall, the three main judges were probably the best to work with, and I think Richard Blaze was definitely the most challenging. But that's good. You want someone to push you. Is there a celebrity judge you're excited to meet? I was definitely excited to meet Jamie Bissonette. He is a total badass. I always follow him on Instagram. I'd been to his restaurants. He just makes so much food at his restaurants. The menu's super intense at his kind of Spanish tapas restaurants, Toro. And he's just like a really cool dude and just kind of a badass. So I was really, really happy that I won both of the challenges on the day that he was a judge and we've been able to be friends since the show. So that's really cool. I was excited that you met Andy Cohen. Yeah. <laughs> you were on Watch What Happens Live. That was like, oh my gosh, he's on Watch What Happens Live. <laughs> so the other day when we uh, when we were about to leave SFO and we were hanging out in the gate area, mm-hmm. guy came up, wanted to take a picture with you. Michelle and I smiled. Because <laughs> it's so cool to have a celebrity friend. 
<laughs> but people must recognize you basically everywhere That's, you go, right? You I, have a very distinctive look. Like that is you're true. tall, good looking. I like the joke that we're at like 13 minutes. <laughs> but, you know, I was in Thailand in January. I got stopped by Americans. I got stopped by Australians. I got stopped by Canadians. I wonder what's going to happen when I go to Tokyo next week. But no, it's true. I, you know, I was in Colorado last week. Someone said hi. I've been stopped probably every single place I've gone to in Austin. So, so how many free meals have you parlayed out of this <laughs> celebrity? Um, not more than normal. You know, I, I think. I, <laughs> I think it's a lot normally. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I think as a chef, you know, if a chef or a VIP walks into my restaurant, you know, I'm absolutely going to make them food. That's just part of what we do um, in terms of camaraderie and, as you know, restaurant culture. And um, By the way, that's also why we love going out to eat with you. There's so yeah. much that's called. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think honestly for me, you know, I didn't really go on the show to become famous or for all these kind of extra things. I really went on because of the challenge. They pursued me. I've been through the application process twice already, and it's, it's pretty intense, and it's really long, and, and you have to go to L.A., and you have, like, thousands of questions to answer, and you have a psych test, and then it's this crazy interview process, and then you're waiting, and every time you see an LA number on your phone for like a month, you're freaking out because you think it's them calling you back. I personally didn't want to do it, but you know, after they put the idea in my head, I was like, yeah, let's do this. For me, I felt like I gained everything I wanted to out of the experience, just cooking on the show. This all happened before it actually aired to the public. For us, it was done, and I feel like I've been through it, and, and I was holding on to that. I learned so much from that experience in terms of wanting to be a better chef and wanting to learn robot food. But then the show comes on air, and then everyone else gets to experience it, and that's a completely different ballgame. I laugh about, after the first episode, looking at my phone expecting 10,000 more Twitter followers, but it didn't happen. But it did happen over the four months. It just got really, really crazy. It became really hard to walk through my dining room at the height of all of this, because you know you want to go visit your VIPs and your friends who are there and, and you want to say hi and, and greet your people that um, are important to you and you know you're getting stopped by people who just want to take pictures all the time and I appreciate their business obviously 100% please come to my restaurant and enjoy dinner um, but it definitely got a little distracting when you're trying to run a busy kitchen um, it is weird though as a fan because I, I love Top Chef I love all the Bravo shows mm. But I remember the first Top Chef, you know, Harold was the winner. Mm -hmm. And I went to his restaurant just recently. Mm -hmm. And we saw him there because it's his restaurant. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh my gosh, that's Harold. And it's the weird thing, yeah. right? Because you're just a, yeah. a regular person who, I mean, you're an awesome chef. But you just happened to be spotlighted on this show. But I, I was so excited, and I was telling my cousin, who I was having dinner with, look, he's right there. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> the truth is, I do the same thing. I like, I, I totally have a bunch of chefs that, when I see them, I get a little nervous around, and, you know, I just, I geek over them, and kind of a little nervous and shy to meet them. But I've personally never walked into a restaurant and demanded to meet someone. Right. And, like, have Has them, that happened? Have them, like, demand that they sing happy birthday for me because I drove from Texas and... It's someone did that to you? <laughs> that, that makes it sound like you are recounting a story. <laughs> well, stuff like that. I mean, like, it's like... I'm not, I'm not Bring Oprah. Bring Oprah. Like, she needs to like, sing to me. No, but that's, that's also, funny. but that's also some people who are entitled. Yeah. Like, that's uh, a crazy yeah. request. No, but, I mean, like, <laughs> I, you know, like... I, I just want to know whether you did it 
<laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> horrible person. Uh, I don't think so. You're busy. You're cooking yeah. for people. I mean, like, the whole package, is, it's, it's not just about me. I went through this, like, really, really hard thing. But it ended, and we have to be fair. We want people to watch the show. We want viewers and all the fanfare. It's part of it. People are like, are you ready for your life to change? And, you know, I didn't really understand what that meant. You know, people mm-hmm. who had been on the show before tell me about it, and producers would, would ask me the question when we started filming and I was like, sure, but I didn't really understand what that meant. Luckily, it hasn't been insane. I've been able to come back and just dive into work and really try to refocus because it was a really long time to be away from work, and it's really distracting for a very long time. The benefits have been great, getting my name out there nationally. I've gotten a lot more respectable accolades, and I really do credit being on the show and being on a national platform like that to all, to all that stuff. I was probably on the same trajectory, but it would have probably taken me about two and a half more years of just kind of working to be where I'm at now nationally because of the show. And I think that's really cool. One of the amazing things about your cooking on the show, too, was that for the most part, you did it staying true to your vision of your food. Mm -hmm. So lots of great Asian flavors. Mm -hmm. You cooked, for the most part, Mm gluten-free. I mean, it was amazing that Mm -hmm. you were able to sort of bring your food Mm -hmm. to the table as opposed to having to bend around what their expectations might have been. In such challenging situations, you kind of go for what you know. Um, obviously, you're trying to push yourself and be creative and be as fearful as possible. But, you know, in my heart, I cook gluten-free. I cook with Asian flavors. That's just what I do. I cook dairy-free. Outside of the one French challenge where I was actually really excited to, you know, make a classic chicken braise to make Kako fan for Jacques Pepin, you know. But everything else I did was just straight up. I asked this question at Paleo Fix last night. But it was like cooking not paleo stuff on Top Chef. But in actuality, it was all like fairly paleo-friendly. Outside of grabbing some sugar and some vinegar and a couple quick fires just to make things go fast that's just naturally how I cook and that's actually how I cook for myself and you know at the restaurant we have the umbrella of Asian culture so I try to keep things sometimes authentic as possible but I'm pushing towards completely gluten-free and dairy-free and more paleo just factoring that into the cost of you know using maple syrup or using honey instead of sugar instead of palm sugar lately we've been starting from the beginning and adding these things into our recipes and, and costing them efficiently so that it's not a big change at the end You alluded to your eating style, and everybody is their own special snowflake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I I think it's true. I think everyone should find their own flavor of paleo, Mm -hmm. like what works for them. And so can you describe your flavor of paleo? Absolutely. I'm definitely gluten and dairy-free, and I actually don't eat red meat. It's just a little heavy for me, Uh, but I do really love cooking it properly as a chef. I love all birds, all fish, all seafood, so... I work with a lot of fermented soy products, and those are fine for me, but anything unfermented soy definitely does not work well for me. But the the basics, no legumes. Legumes, I don't work with so well. A lot of grains, I definitely avoid. But probably my diet is really birds, fish, tons of olive oil, and tons of fruits and vegetables, and tons of nuts. That's really the base of what I eat. And coconut. I know you like all the coconut. (laughs) All the coconut (laughs) in the world. Coconut oil, coconut milk, coconut ice cream. Yeah, but I think it's really great. I think people think that paleo is very red meat heavy, Mm -hmm. and you're a perfect example of Mm -hmm. someone who doesn't Mm -hmm. normally eat red meat. You taste it when you cook it. I do. You don't just have a giant ribeye Mm -hmm. on your plate every day. Yeah, I I love to travel and take food trips, so some countries are easier than others. You know, I went to Thailand, and I was able to eat a lot of different things, and I actually ate a lot of meat in Thailand because they eat a lot of meat in Chiang Mai, and just grilled over cold, and definitely want to taste everything. 
Um, sometimes going to Japan is a little bit harder for me because of all the soy items. After a few days, it's a little challenging for me, but there's other tons of great flavors there that I love in terms of like sushi and sashimi and, and kushiyaki. So when I leave the country, I, I try to experience as much as possible. And, and when I bring these ideas back home, I try to pillify them. That's how we like to do it. We aren't always able to recreate the same thing <laughs> but that's why we love to travel is because we like to try the different cuisines. And obviously for me, I avoid certain foods because I know even trying it, you know, one in Rome, mm-hmm. you know, eat pasta or whatever, mm-hmm. but I, I can't. Yeah. I go to Japan and I don't have ramen, you right. know, because I would die. <laughs> <laughs> How do you treat yourself? Uh, you know, to be very honest, like being able to run for like six hours is like a treat. Being able to sit at a beach house on the coast is a treat. My diet doesn't really stray that much. I definitely have a sweet tooth. so As do I. Yeah. For me, honestly, like I like snacking on like sneaky gluten-free bread with sun butter and jelly. <laughs> and that's like a little treat for me. I definitely love coconut ice creams. Um, we actually make a lot of alternative ice creams at the restaurant. I mean, yeah, all, I've had them. All our ice creams are actually alternative, using either rice milk as a base or predominantly coconut milk is our number one base. Ice cream and cake is probably kind of my little cheats. Nothing too crazy. Is there something in your pantry that would surprise people? Mm, not necessarily. I live a very kind of bachelor chef life, which is bad. <laughs> and it's just condiments in the fridge. <laughs> all the sea salt in the world, all the spices in the world, and probably just orange juice and like coffee and like coconut milk in my fridge. podcast listeners, Gigi's interview isn't over just yet. I had some rapid-fire questions to ask, too. Are you ready for my rapid-fire questions? Yes. Okay. What's your favorite protein? Chicken. What's your favorite vegetable? Beets. First concert? Janet Jackson. Breast or thighs? Thighs. Favorite TV show? Top Chef. Sync or Backstreet Boys? Ooh, Sync. Who are you nervous to cook for? I would probably be most nervous to cook for my old chef and mentor, Gregory Brannon. What's your favorite hair product? Something all natural, featuring olive oil and coconut oil and spruce oil. Which Spice Girl are you? <laughs> Definitely Sporty Spice. <laughs> Katy Perry or Taylor Swift? Katy Perry. What would your last meal on earth be? My last meal on earth, that's a good one. It'd have caviar, it'd have nigiri, it would have roasted chicken, It'd have carrot cake. Okay. Thank you for being our house guest. Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being on our podcast. Thanks for having me on your podcast. It was really fun. All right. I think that's good. I think that's a wrap. Yay! We're done! (laughs) (laughs) Now we can let you have breakfast. Yeah. We've held him hostage for an hour. Crush of the Week. So, Owen, we just spent a week in Austin. So, do you have any crush of the week from your time in Austin? Yeah, Book People. Book People, the gigantic bookstore downtown. Why do you love Book People? Just because it's gigantic and there's so many books. I really like books and it's really cool to explore. This time around, was there a particular book you were looking for? I wasn't really looking for a book in particular since we were just walking around downtown. I kind of wanted to look at everything. Did you end up buying a book? Yeah. 
The book is called *The Night Gardener* by Jonathan Oxier. Oxier. What's it about? Um, I haven't really read it yet. Hello, Lilo. Hello. What? <laughs> What's your crush of the week? Um, there are DC Comics heroes and villains playing cards. Oh, where'd you get those? At Book People, the store, the bookstore. So you went to a bookstore and you didn't buy a book. No, I don't like books. I think it's funny how you and your brother have opposite interests. Of course we do. Really? Is that on purpose? Yes. Can you tell me about these well, playing cards? Each card has a different hero villain on them, and there are different numbers and kings and queens and jacks and whatever. Have you played any games with these cards yet? Once with Dad. What'd you play? War. Who won? I did. Yes. I'm always the winner. All right, let's put some money on it. Let's see if that's true. Hmm. <laughs> Question of the week. This week's question of the week comes from Natalie. In an email, she asks, "I became paleo because of a nine-year horrible struggle with bipolar one disease. I was desperate to try anything to help with this, and under the care of a forward-thinking, amazing psychiatrist, I was able to come off all of my meds and remain stable through food and supplements. And I'm actually better than I've ever been. I have my life and family and marriage back." All of this is to say, I would love to hear about how food can help stabilize mental illness. I was literally told by the doctors that I would always be on meds, and many mentally ill people believe that their lives will always have to be a certain way because they can't be fixed. Thank you, Natalie. That was a great question. Unfortunately, I myself am not the right person to delve into this topic in clinical detail, but I do know someone who is uniquely qualified. Enter my friend, Dr. Emily Deans. She's a board-certified adult psychiatrist who practices in Massachusetts. She's currently a clinical instructor in psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and happened to drop by our little rental house in Austin last week. Here's what she briefly said about Natalie's question. So I definitely do believe that there is a big link between food and mood and uh, have spent a lot of time sort of researching and, and looking into that. And I have plenty of patients who come to me and, you know, it's not always as dramatic as a very serious bipolar 1 disorder improving with food, but almost anybody with depression or anxiety or even ADHD, if you start eating a really good clean diet, kind of cleaning out all the garbage and making sure you get all your nutrients, a lot of people will have significant improvements and just feel a lot better, not only physically, but mentally as well. Awesome. So Emily, how can people reach you? So all you have to do is go to psychologytoday.com and either put in my name, Emily Deans, or you can put in evolutionary psychiatry and it'll go to my blog and it has, gosh, probably close to 100 articles there all about food and mood and the microbiome and behavior and sleep and all of these sort of lifestyle interventions that can help with uh, mental health. This is all stuff I can't help you with, but Emily can. I highly recommend that you check out her articles because, hey, you just might find something that changes your life. And stay tuned because I fully expect to have Emily back on the podcast so we can dig into the nitty gritty. So that's it for this week. This podcast was recorded and produced at Nom Nom Paleo World Headquarters, also known as the dining room in our house, located in the heart of Silicon Valley, 50 feet from Jeremy Lin's parents' house. 
The Nom Nom Paleo theme song is by Mark Bartels, with additional music by Big O and Politaire. This podcast is supported by Thrive Market, our favorite online destination for wholesome products at wholesale prices. Pay one low membership price and you can shop from over 3,000 healthy, natural products, always 25 to 50% off retail, delivered straight to your door. Right now, if you go to nomnompaleo.com slash thrive, you'll get two months free membership at Thrive Market and an additional 20% off your first order. And in case you're wondering, unless stated otherwise, none of the brands or products mentioned sponsor this podcast. We just talk about the stuff we love. If you like this podcast, we have two favors to ask. First, you can visit us at nomnompaleo.com for show notes, and you can also find hundreds of step-by-step recipes, kitchen tips, snarky writing, and more. We also have an iPad app and a cookbook. More information at nomnompaleo.com. And last but not least, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get a sense as to what you like. Join us again next week for more Nom Nom Paleo podcast. Ciao for now.